1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Chris, what are we listening to? It's a uh, Mardi Gras in New Orleans by New Orleans Piano Master, the late Professor Long Air. little mood music as the Grizzlies are in New Orleans taking on the Pelicans. I like that little ditty. Yeah.
0: I was trying to think.
1: Did the... Uh, I'm going to scroll back here.
0: Did the 10,000 Maniacs rip that off? Uh, hey. Uh, give what the, uh candy. I don't know. I mean, music is oh, certainly possible. Yeah. M- music is in the air, man. Yeah, music's in the air, and there's only 88 keys on a keyboard. There's only so right. much you can do. All right. It seems likely that Jared's returning tonight. I mean, can we say
1: it's expected? Yeah, I mean, it was leaked out to Chris Haynes, who, you know, reported it or whatever. So, yes, it seems like it's still questionable. Questionable is a game-time decision, but it sounds like unless there's some something unexpected that would give them pause or whatever it sounds like he's playing tonight if he is returning do you expect him to start um I expect him I don't think it will be like two years ago when he came back from injury and they brought him off the bench for like two or three weeks yeah I don't think it's going to be that so I think he probably does start and if he doesn't First of all, I think he'll be on a minutes restriction. So maybe that – if they're going to try to keep him to 20 minutes, I'm just guessing, maybe that's a reason to wait and start him when the minutes
0: come up. And see if you can keep him on the floor at the end. Yeah. Right.
1: But I think that would be the only reason he wouldn't start would be if they're going to have a pretty hard minutes restriction for for a few games. That'd be the only reason he wouldn't start. But I think he'll be back in the starting lineup probably tonight. And if not tonight, in short order, this is not a situation like two years ago where they've been playing all year with, with a player like Kyle Anderson in the starting lineup and playing really well, and they're in a stretch run, and it's sort of an awkward time to bring a player back. Santiago Damos has been keeping the seat warm. Everyone knows he's keeping the seat warm, and he's been keeping the seat warm in a way that roughly approximates the way Jaron plays anyway. So I think it's a pretty easy
0: fit. How much of an adjustment period should there be to be expected?
1: Oh, I think the adjustment period is is Jaron, you know, physically getting back up to speed and getting in rhythm. I don't think, I don't think there's that much of an adjustment period relative to fitting in, you know, with the, with, with with the scheme or with the lineups or that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he he's played with all these guys. I mean, they brought back their starting lineup from the end of the last season, and so you know he's already played with all these guys. Um, and, and like I said, uh, the the way they've been playing with Aldama is not that much different than a way, the way I think they'll play with Jaron. And the other thing is like. Assuming he's going to be soaking up what to this point has been some Aldama minutes, some Aral Arabia minutes, some Roddy minutes, some Tillman minutes when yeah. they've happened, like it's just all gravy, you know. I mean, you know, I, I just like I'm not saying Jaron's going to be really good right out of the gate, but he's not having to replace much, you know. I, and so I, I think I think it's all the good. I understand it's an 82
0: game season, yeah. and all the games count beforehand. I told Mark though. And this, I'm admitting that I could be just an idiot in the way that I think about it, but this is just the way that I feel. It's like, to me, this feels like what I've been waiting for. This is, for me, this is what I want to watch with the Grizzlies. Like, it's not as if, like, it was preseason and those games didn't count. But if the Grizzlies are going to reach their ceiling, I want to see what they look like with Jaron. Because I think, on the one hand, I tip my cap to the coaching staff for figuring out ways to win without their best defensive player. But we can't ignore the fact that, like, their defense has been. Pretty awful at times. I'm yeah. curious to see what they look like with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're still at least one game away. I mean, I, I think the the, the thing uh, a friend of mine made a made a Lucy and Charlie Brown football joke about the showboats. Yeah. I can make the same joke about the Grizzlies starting lineup. Like, in wanting to see them together for an extended amount of time. And so there's. You know, Bain will probably probably not playing tonight, so we probably don't get the full starting five tonight. Which also feels fitting, right? Yeah, right. And so, like, you know, it still feels like, okay, maybe Friday at home we're going to get the full starting five, then who knows. So what, what, what I think we all want to see is that starting five. You're never going to have your full ten together for a long time. But if you can get that starting five to play, like, two weeks straight together, you can get sort of a feel for things. Um, but, but to your point about the defense, and I wrote about that in my column, which went up yesterday, I sort of talked about Jaron's return and what it sort of means on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, they're not, they've are they been 9-5 and five without him. They've been 9-2 and two in games where John and Desmond have both played, John, Desmond, Bain. So, in a lot of ways, they've done great. You know, it's the whole, the whole Grizzlies, like, we lose guys, we keep on trucking. Yeah. Like last season. But the defense has fallen pretty hard relative to last season. And if you look closely into the whys and the hows, it's fallen hard. You see Jaron's fingerprints or lack thereof all over it. They were second, one of the stats I had in the column, Last season, they were second in the NBA in opponent field goal percentage at the rim, and they're 17th this year. Well, Jaron last season, of all big men who played at least 1,000 minutes in the NBA, he, he, in terms of the, the on-off differential for opponent field goal percentage at the rim with him in the game or not in the game, was the best mark in the whole whole NBA. So there's a direct correlation, and it's easy, obvious to see with your eyes, but you look at the numbers back it up. They have just not been good defending the rim Relative, they've been average, whereas last season they were great. And that that is all about him. And the defense overall has fallen gone from top ten to bottom ten in the league.
0: I think it's easy to think, okay, you get your best defensive player back, you're gonna be better on defense. But from what you've seen thus far, is there more defensively that's problematic
1: than just missing him? Yeah, I don't think getting Jaron back fixes everything, but I think it helps. Sure. I, I think I think it, 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 you'd it, rather find out. Yeah, it, it makes you better. It doesn't make you it doesn't make you completely whole relative to last season because the Mountain Anderson subtraction and who's replaced those minutes is a downgraded other spots, and that's 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 going to be harder to fix this season, uh, just because you're relying on younger players who are not as skilled defensively and not as talented defensively. Yes, frankly. Um, but bring other skills, right? And so I don't, I don't know if this roster has the capability, capability to be as good defensively, which is like top five in the league, as they were last season. But I think with Jaron back, Jaron and Dylan together, I think you can, you certainly be upper half of the league. Maybe you can start crawling towards a top ten level defense. And then if you have a top ten offense, your goal is to be top ten on both sides of the ball. Which they were last season, and they have. I do think they have the capability to be that again. Now the mix may be a little different. Maybe instead of fifth on defense, you're ninth or right. you know that kind of thing. But if you can be, you know, a top third of the league unit on both sides of the floor, I think that puts you in, in the state. That puts you in the contender category, and I think that's where they're trying to get.
0: In your piece that went live yesterday, right after the show, you mentioned that part of what the Grizzlies have done to continue winning is not only shooting the three at a higher rate, but making the three at a higher rate. Right, 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 both. In your mind, is this a better shooting team, or is it still too early to tell because it could just be variance?
1: Um, I think it's a better shooting team, but I suspect the numbers may trickle down a little bit from where it's been. Like, Bain could just shoot 45% from three on eight. He could just keep doing this. Yes. I mean, this is real from Desmond Bain. Shooting fluctuates, but he's for real one of the best shooters in the world. Um, Is Ja Morant going to keep shooting over 40% on the season? I think he's definitely better, but I don't know if he's 40% better. Maybe he's 35% better. Um, Is Dylan Brooks going to keep shooting 39% from three? Maybe, but I would bet on his career mark, which is more like 34-35, right? So I I think if you assume – if I just just assume everyone shoots their career norm, like that's the baseline, and I bake in a little bit of improvement from Ja over his career norm because I do think he's become a better shooter – And I bake in that, like, you know, to the degree that Jake Laravia and Santi Aldama are playing instead of Kyle Anderson, you've upgraded shooting there. Conchar looks like he's just a legit, decent shooter, so maybe the Conchar melting thing is a little bit of a wash. And so, to me, you know, if Jaron can shoot more his career average or better instead of what he did last season, you know, and then Jaws a little bit better, I do think they're a better shooting team. Yeah. How much
0: much concern are you going to put into Jaron's offense, at least in the first, like, couple of weeks?
1: no no nothing in the first couple of weeks and especially the, what people are going to hang on is the three point shooting and and that you know that'll fluctuate and we'll see i'm more concerned i've said this over and over again i've written it and it's still true to me going into the game tonight and the, the next several games going forward i'm looking at him inside the arc um is he three point shooting like satya aldama shot 33% like yeah. right so like that's basically what Jaron's going to do or better right? right and so there's no downgrade there And there should be an upgrade, you would hope. But Aldama, while he hasn't done a lot, has been fairly efficient with what he's done, like, inside the arc, you know, in terms of, like, you know, attacking a closeout, in terms of, like, you know, every once in a while ducking into the post. I mean, he hasn't scored a lot, but he scored fairly efficiently inside the arc. Jaron was a mess last season inside the arc. So I want to see Jaron get back to being, you know, more of a traditional big man percentage-wise sure. inside the arc, more of a 50% shooter on, on two-point shots instead of, you know, in the four, low 40s on two-point shots. And, you know, everything was just a mess with him last season. The footwork was a mess, and he was just he was just out of sorts. And so it's hard to expect that to magically be back when you've missed a whole summer of skill work. But I'm not expecting him to do things he hasn't done. I'm looking get back to what you did your rookie season and your second season in the league before you had the knee injury. In your mind, did they ask him to do more defensively? Because the reason
0: I asked that, it, it feels like you could maybe make the case, part of the reason why he ends up not being as effective on the offensive end is that he was so impactful and asked to do so much on the de- defensive end that it kind of ends up you know, screwing with your head and whatnot. But that's just kind of a, a theory I was tossing off the top of my
1: head. Oh, that may be part of it, I, and I think part of it, and you could see in terms of the inside the arc stuff it's really only that rookie year where he was at his best on traditional big man duck in that kind of stuff and that was playing with Mike Conley and Marcus All and so which is you a get different, really easy finishes yeah yeah and so it's just been a different thing with him i'm interested to see how well he performs offensively especially inside the arc also the three point shooting but especially inside the arc in terms of off the dribble in terms of as a roll man you know duck ins the, the stuff he's going to do I'm also interested to see a little bit how he's used and where he fits into a pecking order. I think one of the best things that best things that's happened for the Grizzlies early this season is that Desmond Bain and, and Dylan Brooks have basically flipped roles in terms of usage. Yep. You know, there's a stat called usage rate, which is what percentage of a of a team's possessions you, you use offensively when you're on the floor. And last season it was like Dylan Brooks at twenty-eight and Desmond Bain at twenty-two, and now it's flipped the other way, which is where it should be. Yes. Your better, more efficient offensive player is not is, more. is doing more. And so that's been good. I'm interested to see where. So Dylan has slipped into a, a distant third behind Morant and Bain on the offensive pecking order. Where's Jaron going to slide in? Is he going to slide in behind Dylan, ahead of Dylan? You hope it's still distant behind John Desmond, right? But what, what, is, what is, where is he going to? I think I think Jaron should be the third guy on the offensive pecking order, partly because of skill level and talent, and partly because of balance. I, I think they don't have a lot of offense on the interior for this team and a lot of usage. I think there's usage to take up because Steven Adams doesn't really do a lot, and right. Jake Laravia doesn't do a lot, and David Roddy doesn't do a lot, and Santi doesn't really do a lot, and Brandon Clark, does, you know, his usage is decently high, but it's very narrow in terms of what it is. It's catching hit it's a floater a, yeah. basically over or and over the, again. above the rim. Yeah, like yeah, 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 and, yeah, right. So I think there's room in the offense to have somebody in the front court who is Getting more shots and handling the ball more and more involved in the offense, and so I think that uh, that role is there for Jaron. And ideally, to me, he fits behind Bain but ahead of Brooks in terms of your offensive packing order.
0: The fact that Desmond and Dylan's usage rate has flipped is that encouraging because one of the things that we've talked about the preseason is like, would Dylan be able
1: to handle that? And to it's, me, like it's totally encouraging because the team. This was well, not a hard thing to recognize, but what we saw, the coaches saw even more so. I'm sure. So the the the, the team recognized this has to happen. Right. We need this to happen. And while he's never been voiced in that way, like Dylan Brooks has never said, "I got to take a, st- a seat a seat behind Desmond Bain," even though he hasn't said it, and the team his teammates haven't said it, I think they all know it. Right. and They recognize it, and they put the plan into effect. So we don't need Dylan Brooks to stand in front of a microphone and say, "I got to defer to Desmond Bain." We just need him to defer to Desmond Bain, which is what he's been doing. And like. You can even see it like
0: in significant possessions. I mean, yeah. like, last you know, there's been some last minute possessions the last week or two where you see like he's clearly looking to kick out to Des and right. like to me like you know like, I understand that can just be an anecdote, but it's like
1: sometimes that matters. Like you, in the end, you see it. You see it watching the game. You see it in the usage numbers. You see it just in the field goal attempt numbers. Yeah, there's a, a big gap when you drop down from John Desmond down to Dylan, but you also see when those guys aren't on the floor or aren't in the game, like Sunday night in Washington when, when John Moran and Desmond Bain are both out, yeah. well, down Dylan Brooks is shooting 7-22, and Tyce Jones is shooting, like, you know, I don't know what it is, 8-20 or something. They actually don't have a lot of offensive creators outside of Morant and Bain, and that's why I think there's room for Jaron to take on a fairly big role offensively if he can earn it and he can, you know, do something with it because I don't think this team has a lot of offensive creators outside of John Moran and Desmond Bain.
0: How much con- How much concern should there be with the fact that Dez is going to miss another game? He's missed games early because on the one hand, I can make the case, well, basically what we've just been talking about, his usage rate has just gone sky high and without Jaron, like they've needed him just because they've had to try to outscore people. How much concern, though, is there that, okay, we're already starting to see him missing games?
1: Well, see. I mean, it's a sore toe, so we'll see. I mean, that's not like his back flaring yeah. up. I'd be more concerned if it was that. But it's obviously a real injury. Like like when that popped up, when they both missed the Washington game with 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 those injury de- designations, John Moran and Desmond Bain. I had someone predict—I don't remember who it was—but probably, probably a thousand people were thinking sure. this. I had someone in my Twitter feed say, like, ah, so they're just fudging with the injury report to give these guys rest, right? Well, clearly they were not doing that with Desmond no. Bain because they're not looking to get him two two games rest in a row. Sure, um, it's a real injury, um, especially with the national TV game. Right, right. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, doubtful again. Um, it's still the kind of thing where I like. I think he'll play on Friday, but but, yeah. but but we'll find out. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm putting it in the camp of bummer, but not concerning.
1: I mean, sore toe is not like you know a fractured something or yeah. a torn something or whatever. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same way. All right, then we have the game tonight, and Gary and I were kind of talking about this, and I think we've talked about it. I would like for this series to become a rivalry. Is that is yeah. that
1: wrong? No, it's not wrong. I mean, it's It's a hard thing to do to the point I, I think you made. You don't, for the most part, don't have region-oriented, region for the most part, region-oriented or franchise-oriented extended rivalries right. in the NBA. I think, you know, if you talk to, like, Sacramento Kings fans, they hate the Lakers, right? But, sure. But, it, you know, I don't think Lakers fans care that much about the Sacramento Kings. Having lived there, I can tell you they do not think about them. You know, I think maybe among Celtics, Sixers, Knicks, because there's a lot of deep history Correct. there. And those places are close together. So you have, like, some of that here and there, but you don't have that for the most part. What you tend to have is— Atlanta sort of- and Charlotte don't care about each other. Well, you tend to have a short lived rivalries rooted in player personality and rooted in playoff battles. Yeah. Um is what you tend to have. It's why it's why Friday night felt like a big game. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And why, you know, why the Grizzlies and the Warriors are playing yeah. on, on 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 Exactly. You know, on, on Christmas Day. I would I've always wished that the NBA could have a little bit more of that regional, more fan base oriented rivalry. Yeah. I always like there's this guy Tom Ziller, who he writes for his own sort of like substack or whatever now. Um but he had he had a He had a a realignment proposal. This is like 10 years ago. I've always liked it. And it was, the way he had it set up, you didn't do a right way with divisions. You redid divisions, but then you actually had micro divisions. And so you had pods within divisions where you would play each other even more frequently. So his idea was that you would have like New Orleans, Memphis, and Atlanta in a sub pod of a division. So you're playing each other six times a year instead of four. Some fans may not like that because they want to see more of the variety of the league, but I kind of do like that. And if you could orient those games around weekends and get like some travel going, I've always liked that idea, but I think it's hard to pull off in the NBA. Well, I'm with you, and I like it
0: from this sense that, because Mark and I were talking about this on Friday, it's like, okay, we can all intellectually understand all 82 games matter, but one thing about the NBA, and it's maybe not to the level of baseball, but it's certainly more so than football, there are just certain games that matter more. Right, and I'd like to see more games that matter more. For and if if anyone's got ideas to make games matter more, I I am in on that. But I guess to me the the bigger question is we talked about this this summer. Typically, I admit that I'm usually the number one Pelicans doubter. Anytime the Pelicans start to get hype, I'm like, eh, I need to see it first. Weirdly, with this team, I was like, I don't, I I I can maybe kind of buy in. So far, they haven't blown anyone out of the water yet, right. but they've. They've also avoided the typical yeah. Pelicans stub your toe out of the gate and just kind of ruin your whole yeah, season in the
1: first two months. You don't look up in your six and nineteen yeah, exactly. and, and then you end up winning thirty seven games at the end of the year, right? No, that's that's right. And so if they get on a hot streak late like they tend to do, they'll they'll be coming coming at it from sort of a better plateau. I think that team has a lot of talent, but the mix, maybe the mix, I mean clearly the defensive foundation is not is not great on that team. And they don't really have a point guard, like Jose Alvarado, who sort of comes off the bench. Yeah. I mean, it's just not—you know, they traded for, for Jonas from Memphis, Jonas Alanchunas. And he was really good last season when Zion Williamson missed the whole season. Yeah. And now that Zion's back, you're seeing, like, that doesn't okay. really work. Yeah. The Zion thing's interesting to me because he's—like, when he plays, he's really good. He's averaging 20-something points a game this season, great efficiency. so a really talented offensive player. It's weird how out of the conversation he is. For a guy who was so hyped up and is on yeah. all, all the TV commercials, future of the league— He's just not. Like I listen I listened to a thousand NBA podcasts. Nobody ever talks about him. Yeah. You know, I'm on Twitter too much, NBA Twitter. I think when he got drafted people thought it was going to be like remember rookie year Blake Griffin yes. where he was like breaking the internet every yes. night cuz he dunked really hard. There's no there's no Zion highlights on my feed no. like ever. Oh, no, it's more Ja. Yeah, that's right. But he's just he not is he's, he's good. He's a very good offensive player, very good. But he is not the explosive highlight machine that people thought he was going to be. He's just lost that little bit of extra athleticism. And it's just not – it's its weird to me how not interesting he is relative to what people thought he was going to be while still being very good. Do you have a theory? Is it just because we haven't seen him for – I think there's that. I think there's the team. You know, It's already a small market team, and the team has not really been that successful. But I think it's that he just lost the extra bit of electric athleticism. He doesn't do the oh, wow stuff yeah. to the degree that people thought he was going to do. It's just that you know he's strong and he's fast and he's got a soft touch, and so he scores sort of in bunches at high efficiency, but it's not like that interesting to watch The re- to the degree that people thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah, it's more now skilled rather than like sheer, oh my God, like just pure athleticism. Right. Yeah.
1: There was a suddenness to him earlier. Yes. Morning, that he would just have these
0: Explosion eruptions. and right. just, yeah, everything. Chris, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks.
1: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.